This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Biggest game of the Pac-12 weekend. Is it happening in the state of Oregon? Is it possible that Oregon's game against USC on Saturday night at 7.30 on Fox, is that the biggest game of the Pac-12 weekend? Or is the biggest game of the Pac-12 weekend at Husky Stadium where Washington is hosting Utah? Or is it in Corvallis where Oregon State must win against Stanford to keep its eye on the prize and leave the door open for the possibility of the Beavers beating Oregon, beating Washington, beating Stanford. All of a sudden, Viva Las Vegas for the Beavers. Or is the biggest game of the Pac-12 weekend Arizona? You tell me. 503-417-7575. Beaver fan, I want to hear from you. Duck fan, I want to hear from you. Neutral observer. All our SEC fans and Big Ten fans who listen to this show, I, I'd love to hear from you where you think the action is this weekend. I can send you to one game. Are you going to Autzen Stadium? Going to see USC? See if they can get it back on track as it pertains to uh, the Pac-12 race and their defense? Or are you talking about, you know, the biggest game of the weekend being at Husky Stadium? And don't sleep on the Oregon State game either because I know it's Stanford and Oregon State. Neither one of those teams are sitting at the number five and number six position. But, you know, Oregon State is the school that has the opportunity to play both Oregon and Washington in the next three weeks and potentially disrupt it all. By you know going three and zero now, I actually think Oregon State is going to win Saturday, and I think Oregon State is about a fifty-fifty shot to beat Washington in two weeks at Corvallis in in Reeser Stadium. And if that happens, I think we're going to have a civil war for the ages on our hands on November twenty-fourth on that Black Friday. I think it's going to be a civil war unlike any other civil war we have ever witnessed in the state of Oregon. But I want to hear from you. Where is the action this weekend? And how concerned are you, if you're a Husky fan, about having to play Utah, having to go to Oregon State, and having to play the Apple Cup, and then having to play Oregon in order to get to the conference champion, I mean, to get to the college football playoff? Think about the potential path for both Washington and Oregon as it pertains to the college football playoff. Who has the easier path? If you're Washington, it's Utah at home. It's at Oregon State. It's the Apple Cup game. Then a potential Pac-12 championship game, and let's just assume it's Oregon. 
That's your path to the college football playoff. You've got to win them all. Otherwise, you don't get there. And if you are Oregon, you've got to beat USC at home. You've got to win at Arizona State. You've got to beat Oregon State at home. And then you potentially have to beat the one team that has your number and is beating you twice in a row, Washington, in order to step into the college football playoff. Easier path. Who has it and where's the action? 503-417-7575 is the number. Great show for you today. Dan Lanning will be with us, the Oregon football coach. He'll be joining us in the 4 o'clock hour. Also on the program, we will be talking with Anthony Gold, wide receiver at Oregon State. He'll be with us. That interview presented by Jamba. And uh, we'll be talking in and around a lot of other things as well. Steven, i got to ask you, easier path to the playoff. Who's got it? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I would go with Washington. To the college football playoff, I think Washington has the easier end of the schedule. And I think that's mostly because I think Oregon has has a tougher game this week against USC. I know that they're favored by more points. Washington is over Utah, but I think Washington's going to be able to handle Utah pretty well. And I think Oregon's going to struggle a little bit with UC, USC, and it's going to be a closer game. So um, you look at that Oregon State game as well. I mean, Washington on the road at Oregon State, but the, then the Washington State game and Arizona State is about equal. I think the USC game is just slightly harder, um, slightly tougher. So I, I think for Washington, that, that's a tougher schedule going forward to get to the playoff. I think Oregon wants to play Washington, and we talked about this yesterday. I don't think the Huskies want to play Oregon. I don't think they, you know, they're they're going to have to maybe play Oregon. And I think if it comes to that game, I don't think they're going to admit that they didn't want to play Oregon. But I think in the end, you're looking at, you know, the potential for Washington to, you know, have that game where they beat Oregon in Week 7 be a nothing burger. It, it amounts to nothing. If both of those teams get to Las Vegas and are playing for the conference championship in Vegas, so, you know, if you are, um, you know, if you are looking at, uh, you know, the potential for this rivalry to be a thing, you tell me, is, is it, uh, does Washington want Oregon again? And here's the other thing that I'm looking at. Jim Thornby, who works for the Pac-12, tweeted out yesterday, he was looking at sort of the, uh, the conference schedules that Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Florida State, and Washington have played. And he raised a pretty valid point. He raised a point to say, like, look, look at the conference opponents that Ohio State, for example, have played. Ohio State has played in conference play, has played Penn State, and then has played Indiana, one and five, Maryland, two and four, Purdue, one and five, Wisconsin, three and three, Rutgers, three and three, uh, to be undefeated. You look at that that record, the combined win percentage of all the teams that Ohio State has played in order to be undefeated in conference play is, uh, uh, you know, 417, about 42% win percentage, 15 and 21, those combined opponents. And, oh, by the way, Penn State is 5 and 1. And so without Penn State, Ohio State's non-conference or conference opponents are 10 and 20 to get to undefeated. Florida State is worse their, their opponents are winning 35% of the time. Georgia's even worse, 34% of the time. Michigan, worst of all of the undefeated teams in the college football playoff rankings, 33% win percentage for their uh, conference opponents this season. Washington has played the most difficult schedule of all the undefeated teams. And Washington's schedule is helped immensely 
by the fact that it played Oregon, who is five and one in Pac-12 play, and it played USC five and two in Pac-12 play. That pads the resume. But here they are on Saturday at home playing four and two Utah. So you're going to have Washington with wins over Oregon and USC and potentially Utah sitting behind, you know, an undefeated Ohio State that has played only Penn State, and that is it. And I got to ask you, at what point the selection committee goes, hey, wait a minute. Uh, Washington's played a more difficult schedule. Mark in Portland's called in. I'll take your phone calls. Tony's holding as well. We got several lines open at 503-417-7575. Let's go to Mark in Portland. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, uh, look, th- this is the last year of this, John, because everything could, cha- everything could change for the Huskies, and I'm going to call them the Huskies so I don't mispronounce Washington. <laughs> um, but th- if, the, if let's say Utah beats the Huskies, they then would be rooting for Oregon to win out because they would have to play probably Oregon in the Pac-12 title game just to beat out a one-loss Alabama or one-loss Texas. It's, it, it, to me, I would never defend the Huskies, but a one-loss Husky team that beats the Ducks for the, for the championship should be in the playoff. I don't understand why they're not getting the same treatment that a one-loss Oregon team would get. And, and I think... Uh, the, the the big game for me is it obviously at Austin Stadium because I keep I keep reliving that 2011 game where Matt Barkley came up here. I believe USC was a double digit underdog to the Ducks the year after they played for the national championship. They were dominating everybody and had a shot to get a, a chance at LSU and they were at home against USC as as a as a favorite, a pretty good sized favorite, and they lost to a hot quarterback. So USC is dangerous. Every week, I think Washington, the Huskies are going to handle Utah. I think the Beavers very well could beat them. But if they lose and Oregon wins the Civil War, how can a, a one-loss matchup between Oregon and, and the Huskies not the winner not get into the playoff? And, and it's quite possible that would happen if the Huskies won. It's not really fair to them, and I'm saying that as a Ducks fan. Yeah, I you know, and I'm I'm looking at kind of the Big Ten schedule, and I think the committee is, and this is why I don't like a four-team playoff versus a 12 that has an automatic qualifier. We should not be sitting here going, why is the undefeated Pac-12 champion sitting at five and you've got two Big Ten teams that are undefeated, I'm saying potential champion, two Big Ten teams that are undefeated currently that will play each other that are sitting in front of the Huskies. Like the committee's basically just saying, we like the Big Ten teams better than we like the Huskies. Now, I, I agree with Mark. I don't think it's fair to the Huskies. I don't think it's fair... Uh, you know, considering that the Pac-12 conference is viewed as a more difficult top-to-bottom conference, you look at the win percentage of Washington, and you just look at the teams that Washington is having to play to stay undefeated, Oregon and USC among them, Utah this week, they're all teams with winning records. And, frankly, uh, some teams that have been ranked and continue to be ranked in Oregon's case uh, throughout the season. And so... I am looking at this, and I'm going, okay, like, I get it. Committee's saying down the road, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play. That'll sort itself out. One of them will lose. But I don't think either one of them has a better resume to this point than Washington. So so unless you're going on the eye test, the so-called eye test, I think you'd have to put Washington in the top four, would you not? Let's go to Tony, who's in Oregon City. Tony, welcome. Hi, John. I don't know what anyone's really looking at in regards to Oregon having a tough time against USC. My goodness, you go to Utah and you put 55 on them and you don't let them score. 
Caleb Williams is going to be crying because he's going to be sacked five times. We're going to beat them by 21 points or more. It's the Ducks. It's the last time in the Pac-12. We want to win the Pac-12 championship, and we want to play Washington again in the Pac-12 championship, and we want to play in the four because we're going to be in the 12 from here on out. Thank you. Appreciate that. I agree with his assessment. I want to look a little bit at that Oregon-USC game now because I think uh, it is kind of for us the premier game of the weekend. It is the last game of the weekend at 7.30 on Saturday night on Fox, and I think it should be the 7.30 game. Like, Fox had a Big 12 game. It had the other Pac-12 game, the Utah-Washington game, and it had this USC-Oregon game, and it decided, hey, we're going to go with – you know, Utah and Washington early, and I get it because Washington's undefeated. So if you're a Duck fan and you're quibbling with that, I don't think you have a dog in the fight there. I think you need to let that one go. If you won the game at Washington several weeks ago in Week 7, you could have a you could bellyache, and I would, I would hear that. But I, I think if I'm Fox, I do the same damn thing. I take the undefeated team, I stick them at 1230. I take the one-loss team against USC, and I put them at 730. That's, that's how it goes. But, I'm you know, we've been talking about this now. For two days, USC's change of defensive coordinator, how does that affect or how does that impact, you know, Oregon and USC on Saturday night? And I, I still think that it's the wrong question. I, I, you know, will USC play its best defensive game of the year? Um, may, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I think USC is going to do. I think USC as a team is going to cave in, in in Eugene. I think they will cave in. I think there have been some times this season – where Oregon has just played really locked in, uh, I I can I can tell you that there's just a different feel about Oregon when it when it played against Colorado and it played against Utah. I almost would think they got something against the four corner schools because Oregon was just locked in for those games, and this one has that feel to me. I think USC is going to get ambushed on Saturday night, and I think Caleb Williams will score some points, but I think the Ducks know that they can smell the playoff committee like ranking coming out on Tuesday. They know that style points matter. It's USC for crying out loud. It's a night game under the lights. It's an opponent that I think is coming off a week where it pretty much saw its own hopes evaporate like, you know, this is a 7 and 3 USC team. I think Oregon is going to just boat race USC. And and I don't think it's going to be like 42-7. Because I think Caleb Williams will score some points, but it could be like 42-21, 42-24, something like that. Steven, how do you see it? I don't know, John. I, I think USC's offense is going to be better than what we expect it to be. Um, you, know, you look at Oregon's schedule, and I know that you know they haven't played the best schedule, but you look at the way the passing offenses that they've played. They're not great. They don't throw the ball down the field. They haven't been tested. The one team that does is Washington. Washington's third in the nation in passing yards per attempt. USC is right behind them at number nine. Besides that, Texas Tech, they're in the 90s. Hawaii, they're in the 80s. Like, this is a team, this is an Oregon defense that has been really good. But they also haven't been really tested by some of the best offenses, I think, in the nation. Colorado in the mid-50s in yards per attempt. So USC is going to throw the ball down the field. Can Oregon make those plays? I I think that they're going to, but I think USC is going to have a little bit more success than what we think. And I don't think Oregon's going to lose. I think Oregon's going to win the game, but I just think USC is going to score some points, make this game more of a battle. 
And then you know, you're giving you give me you know two scores, more than two scores with USC. I'm going to take that, and I think USC is going to make this game competitive. Now, defensively, of course, for USC, that's the that's the question for me. Like, how much difference can they get with the one game bump with the new defensive coordinator Brian Odom in there instead of Alex Grinch? I think that they do get a little bit of a one game bump. Now, Bo Nix is going to you know still carve up that offense. The running game is going to carve up the defense. But I think USC's offense is going to be able to score a little bit more than what we expect, even though we know this Oregon defense is better than last season. I think we're going to see Oregon locked in, but we shall see. Let's go to Gary and Tualatin. Gary, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Go Ducks. Uh, really, who cares about the fantasy championship? Um, whatever they decide, they decide. We just got to win the uh, the Pac-12 championship. That's the one that matters. And growing up in Autism Stadium, I always wondered what would happen if you had these prima donna great athletes that uh, the uh, SC underachievers have and brought them into, into Eugene and turned them into really, really good overachieving athletes, and uh, we're seeing that. This is, uh, this is the same athletes that they used to have, only they're turn, we're turning them into some very special football players. Well, I think, well, I think what you're seeing more than anything is, you know, there was a time when Oregon – was recruiting players who were five-star recruits who I think were, I think we all know, were interested in the locker room, the uniforms. And and I'm not saying, you know, there yeah, there was a prima donna feel to, to it. But there's a prima donna feel to the game in general when we talk about high-profile recruits who are being recruited at places like USC, Washington, Oregon, and other places outside the conference in particular. Uh, I think what has changed at Oregon, and I think it shifted some in the Mario Cristobal era, and then it, I think it shifted again and got a little more fine-tuned under Dan Lanning, is I think Mario Cristobal started recruiting guys that were tougher, more physical. There was more emphasis on the run game and the offensive line and the physicality at the line of scrimmage. And I think Oregon took on a different identity uh, under Mario Cristobal. And then I think Dan Lanning locked that in and focused it a little bit. And I do see more of, um, you know, I, I don't want to call them grinders because it's hard to call five-star kids who suit up at Oregon like, oh, they're grinders. But it, I, I think you're seeing, you know, four- and five-star kids who are just a little more about the team, a little more about the culture, a little more about each other. And I think it helps when you have a guy like Bo Nix, who's, who's your quarterback, who's been through some stuff and is a little older. Uh, I, I think you are seeing a lot of transient players at Colorado and USC in particular because of the turnover of the portal, because of you know how the programs are being built there. I do think you're seeing a lot of guys who are me, 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 me guys. And Oregon used to have those guys, and I think USC and Colorado right now have a few more of them. And I think that's evident by you know when times are getting tough, you're seeing finger-pointing. You're seeing, uh, you know, t players on the sideline at USC who didn't appear to care. And I, I will be really curious to see what happens to USC when they get in Autzen Stadium on Saturday night and if Oregon comes out hot at the beginning of the game and gets up to a 7 nothing lead or a 14 nothing lead, I'll be really curious to see how USC reacts in, in that moment. Because, you know, a team in that situation is only going to do one of two things. It either is going to pull together and start fighting back, or it's going to splinter into a million pieces. And I have a sense, based upon how USC finished against Washington last week, about how the Trojans are going to react in that moment. So three-loss USC team. 
And these are not kids that are uh, particularly used to losing football games. I want you to leave it here. Anthony Gold, wide receiver at Oregon State, is coming up. We've got a great show for you today. Well, it was really sad uh, the other night. I saw a tweet and then another tweet and then a another post about the uh, Salem Statesman Journal's Pete Martini. You may remember Pete, who has come on this show a few times, but more importantly, more significantly, he covered the heck out of high school sports and prep sports in the Salem area and um, Pete uh, was dealing with cancer. He talked about it on this show when he joined us um, he, a couple of times in uh, 2022 and gave us an update on his battle with cancer. And um, unfortunately, the other night, Pete Martini passed away, Salem Statesman Journal, uh, sports writer and uh, AP voter, very a dedicated guy. I mean, his colleagues will tell you he was 43 years old, Longtime sports reporter in Salem. People who cover and read about high school sports in Salem know Pete Martini, but um, passed away the other night, and um, he continued to write even though he was sick. I'm going to play some of his audio from an interview we did in 2022 a little bit later in the show, but this was a guy who loved to report about sports and tell stories and um, really sad news out of Salem, the state capital. Pete Martini dead at the age of 43 and I can I remember I told Pete that Anthony Gold was coming on the show regularly this season and and uh, Pete said oh that's great Salem kid you know you're talking about and Pete had grown up in Salem graduated from Sprague High School played football there went to the University of Oregon became a sports writer at the Daily Emerald and then uh, got an internship at the Salem paper in the summer of 2001 and then uh, Started, uh, you know, his newspaper career. Anthony Gold, on that note, joining us now. Kid uh, who's got a Salem history himself. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. And I, I just want to add to that. Um, you know, I, I had a, a couple opportunities to be around Pete. Um, you know, he, he's a great dude. Um, you know, I'm, I actually saw the news the other day, and, you know, it, it hurts, you know, seeing, you know, just a, such, such a good person, you know, who just wanted to help help others, help help kids, um, you know, just do what they love and follow their dreams. And, um, you know, he's an amazing guy, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have been around him. Yeah, and, you know, I told him you were coming on regularly, and he was like, oh, that's a great choice, West Salem High School kid. Like, he, you know, he knew all about you. He, start, he was just one of those guys who knew everything about everything that was going on in high school sports in that area, but... <laughs> You probably, you know, did did he interview you when you were playing in high school? Oh yeah, he interviewed me a couple times, and uh, we did. We actually went down to the um, where I'm not sure what the the newspaper he worked for was. Uh, the Salem Statesman, yeah, Statesman Journal. Yep, went to this the Statesman Journal. Um, actually went went and did a little project down there one time. Um, you know, super super awesome. Um, you know, he he loved what he did, and um, like you said, he. He tried to help anyone. It didn't matter the sport. It didn't matter the school. If you were in Salem, he, you know, he wanted to cover you. So, um, you know, it's super sad news. Um, you know, he'll definitely be missed. And, um, you know, Salem sports definitely, definitely felt it. There you go. Anthony Gold, uh, West Salem High School, talking about Pete Martini, Salem Statesman Journal. Anthony, uh, big, big punt return last week against uh, Colorado. Huge moment right before half. You set up. 
what ends up being, uh, you know, a, a one-play scoring drive touchdown pass uh, to Deshaun Fenwick on the net very next play. But give us an idea on that punt return. Were you thinking, you know, good return here, put us in position? What were you thinking when you were back there? Honestly, I was thinking score. <laughs> you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of kind of a little frustrated I didn't score. You know, I think I, you know, I, those those two and the third one they called down, um, you know, those are those are ones I wish I, I could have back. But, um, yeah, you know, just do whatever I could to, you know, help my team get in position. Um, I think there was, like, a minute left uh, when we were about to get the ball. Um, Silas Bolden uh, went down there and uh, I think they downed the punt on the, the two-yard line. Defense goes three and out, so, you know, I just knew the, I was going to get an opportunity to kick it backed up, um, and, you know, I just had to make the most of it. Yeah, and I think, uh, obviously, you did, and you and you damn near scored. I thought you were going to score, too, and, uh, you know, when you get that moment where, you know, you're returning a punt, and you're in traffic, you're kind of zigzagging around, you're getting blockers, like, I, I have to know, does it slow down for you in that moment, or does it feel frantic? No, I definitely... It's a weird feeling, you know, it kind of, things does slow down, you know, it looks kind of fast when, you know, when you're, I guess when you are running fast, it is fast, but, you know, when you're really just running through and trying to weave through and find the hole, um, you know, it's not, it's not like things are, you know, out of control or, you, you know, you're kind of worrying, but um, things do slow down and, um, I mean, that all goes goes back to the training and, you know, how you prepare, you know, if you prepare yourself throughout the week um, and leading up to the season, if you prepare yourself throughout the year and throughout the week, um, you know, focusing on I'm going to try and make every look as realistic as a game, then, um, you know, it's second nature. But um, definitely slows down a little bit, but, um, yeah, definitely not frantic. Give me an idea of what it felt like for you guys to dominate for three quarters, and then it got a little dicey in the fourth. And as that is unfolding, um, I frankly was I was surprised they didn't onside kick there at the end. I think you were on the field with the hands team, and they decided to kick off, Colorado did, and, I, you know, I didn't think they were getting the ball back the way you guys were playing on offense. I was a little surprised they gave you they, they kicked off there. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, each each coach, you know, feels like, um, you know, their their way to win. Uh, we know we got the ball back. I think two three minutes left. Um, it was two. I think they want to say I want to say they had two or three timeouts. Um, you know, so for us, it's four minute mode. Get a couple first downs and and end the game. So, um, I mean. We were out there talking like they don't have to onside it right here. Um, they can, you know, if they feel like they can play some defense, they're gonna they're gonna kick it deep. And I saw him put it on the tee, and it didn't look like it. he was lined up for for onside the way it was hitting on the tee. So I was like, he's probably gonna kick it deep. And sure enough, he kicked it deep. And um, but yeah, I know that's that's something we need to work on. Uh, you know, we talked about it uh, throughout the throughout the week was finishing in the fourth the fourth quarter. Um, you know, we felt like the game, we made the game a little closer than it needed to be. Um, just going out there and executing, you know, in the fourth and um, finishing the game uh, the way it needs to be finished. We're talking to Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State. This interview presented by Jamba. Uh, Anthony, you have Stanford this week. It's a sellout. It, that means that every home game will have been a sellout this season. You're sold out next week, a week from Saturday against Washington. What does that mean for you, a guy who's been in the program, to know that not a single ticket went unsold this home season. I mean, it's awesome, you know, just seeing, you know, the the progress that is is taken to, you know, get to get to this point. Um, you know, I, I say that we've all earned it. You know, um, everyone that's has worked around the Oregon State football program, um, 
you know, it doesn't matter your role. Everyone's earned this, you know, and that's something that um, I think that we all take pride in now. Um, you know, we, we weren't the, the, the team everyone wanted to watch a couple of years ago, but we knew through hard work and, uh, you know, to put our head down and really just, just grind that, um, you know, opportunities like this will come where every game, home game will be a sellout. So, um, you know, it, it definitely feels amazing. It's kind of, you know, it, it's a, a long journey looking back of, you know, just uh, how, how long it's been since I've been here because um, it hasn't always been like that. But um, it's definitely cool to see, and, you know, I'm happy for the fans. Um, but more importantly, you know, I think that, you know, we've earned this as a team, as a program, um, and, you know, there should be more to come. Anthony Gold with us. Stanford on film. What do you see when you look at Stanford? Yeah, I mean, they're a team that plays hard, you know, and that's just like it's like every week, week in and week out. Um, you know, they're they're a team that plays hard, and they're a team that's come in, you know, thinking they can win, expecting them themselves to win, you know, and that's you know that's something uh, um, Coach Fence always likes to tell us is, um, you know, upsets are only upsets to the people outside of the arena, you know, so. Um, they're coming in. They they think they can win, um, and you know they're they're a well coached team and they play hard. So um, this should be a good game. Um, but you know we're just focusing on doing what we do, um, to being physical and executing, and you know that's that's all we've kind of been focusing on all week. You know you see some teams that will uh, will come after you. You have some teams that have good good secondaries. Other teams are very physical up front. Uh, Stanford for you when you look at them, how do they compare? Or is there a comparison to another team you've played, and especially how they are in the secondary? Yeah, I'd say um, you know they got good athletes. You know, and that's all of, all around the field. You know, they're an athletic team. Um, they like to get guys in space. You know, they're uh, special teams. Uh, at least they're they're playing. You know, it's a little unique. They like to do different things. Um, so yeah, you know, they definitely try and scheme scheme guys up. They they got good athletes over there. Um, you know. They got good players, you know, so um, you know, we're not taking them lightly. Uh, we're not looking past them or anything. Um, we know that they're coming in and they expect themselves to win, like I said. So, um, you know, we're just trying to come in and just do what we do and uh, to make it physical and, you know, fly around have fun on Saturday. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, everybody's watching you guys go and look. You know, nobody's talking about Oregon State, which is probably how you guys like it to a certain extent as it pertains to Vegas, but if you win three in a row here, you beat Stanford this week, you beat Washington at home, you go to uh, Eugene and win, um, you know, you guys are very likely in Vegas as either a one-seed or a two-seed in the conference championship game. I mean, it's still there for you. Oh, yeah, and that's, you know, that's that's not something, you know, we're kind of focusing on, you know. Um, we got three tough games ahead of us, and, you know, it's going to take our best effort and execution in, in all three games. So, um, you know, we've kind of – the motto of this week is, you know, this is the biggest game of the year. Um, so we're, we're taking care of business and preparing uh, like it is. So um, every week is a, is a, is a big week, uh, especially when you're playing good teams and you're good, uh, you are a good team and you're in a good conference. Um, every week's, you know, the biggest game of the year. So uh, this, this weekend – will be the biggest game of the year, and then next week will also be the biggest game of the year. So, um, you know, just keeping that mentality week in and week out, um, you know, it helps us, you know, just not look too far ahead and, uh, you know, stay grounded and, um, you know, just, just keep grinding day in and day out. Anthony Gould, I appreciate you. Thanks. Good luck Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. 
All right, take care. There he goes, Anthony Gould, West Salem High School, now at Oregon State, wide receiver. He joins us every week, courtesy of Jamba. Jamba, life is better blended. Uh, Loved what he had to say about Pete Martini, the sports writer at the Salem Statesman Journal, who passed away this week. Sad story. Um, I brought Pete on the show a couple times. I messaged with him frequently on Twitter, and it's particularly since he had been very public in talking about his battle with cancer and chemotherapy. And, you know, I just checked on him a couple of times just to see how he was doing. And so it knocked me off my feet the other night when I saw that he had passed away because I, you know, thought and hoped that he was doing better. And I had not messaged with him since April. But at that point, he had sort of said he was going back in, he was having more chemo, and, you know, I knew he was in a fight. And so we tried to bring Pete on the show a couple times, and we did in January of 2022, and then in September of 2022, we brought him on the show just to kind of be like, you know, let's talk about football. Let's talk about the fact that you're an AP Top 25 voter, and tell me about your ballot. And we did that kind of interview with Pete, but... I mainly was just wanting to recognize a guy who has poured himself professionally into the high school sports scene in the Salem area and, you know, done it at a high level and obviously way too young to be dealing with cancer and chemotherapy. And, he, you know, he's so positive. He fought so hard. And so when I saw the news the other night, uh, you know, I went, oh, no. And, and it just it hit me right in the chest. And so I want to give you, you know, just a, just a segment, just a taste here of Pete Martini, who joined us, you know, in, in September and last January to talk about, you know, his teams, the top 25 poll, what he thought of Oregon and Oregon State. But we eventually got to his battle with cancer. And here's, here's Pete Martini in his words. It was uh, just about a year ago, Pete, that I saw... Uh, a tweet from you talking about chemotherapy and cancer and uh, I, you know I sent you a message because uh, you know I, I uh, just wanted to support you and uh, and then just uh, a couple of months ago you reached back out and said there was a little bit of a setback can you fill in our listeners what's going on yeah so um, so I had four cancers I was diagnosed last year um, I went through six months of chemotherapy and then I went on to an antibiotic that was supposed to keep it off and hold back the cancers. And then in November, there was a little bit of activity with the uh, cancer in my lung. And so we had to go back on chemotherapy, uh, actually starting last week. Um, I'm going to do six months of that again. And um, the good news is that I'm starting this one, this, this round of chemo, in a much better spot than I was a year ago. You know, a year ago, I was hospitalized. I had a transfusion and then started the chemo. Um, this, this time around, the, uh, there's, a, there's a marker in the blood that measures the cancer, and I'm significantly less than where I was a year ago. To give you a reference point, a year ago, that marker was at 4,500, and right now, that marker's at 31. So it's, it's, it's not a lot of cancer in there right now, but they just want to be, my doctor wants to be, extra cautious with it, wants to knock it out early. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. Now, the first time around, I did not work during the, the chemo treatment. 
this time around, I'm going to keep working. Pete Martini, our guest, uh, sports writer, Salem Statesman Journal, lifelong Oregonian. Um, you know, I, I want to give you support. I know you've got a ton of support there, and I know our listeners are with you as well, Pete. Uh, and, you know, the decision to work, is that is that because, it you know, you can focus on something else, or is it just you feel better this time around, or what uh, what makes you want to work through it? Uh, definitely both of it, but, but the big part of it is that I can't just go into hiding for another six months like I did last year. It's just too hard on the psyche. You know, yeah. I've got to be out there. I've got to be a part of it. I've got to be doing things. Well, we're going to drag you on this show when you're up to it. How about that? That sounds good. Hey, give me an idea. Uh, Braves fan as well? Is that right? Yeah, I grew up a Braves fan. Just, you know, a big part of that was they were on, they were on the Super State TBS every day. Um, and so I kind of fell in love with that and to be honest the, the first time I started watching them it was because Dale Murphy was on the team yeah. and he was an Oregonian and I thought it was really cool to kind of watch him my uncle had played against him in high school um, so uh, I kind of started with that and then they had their magic fun in the 90s and so I just yeah I've just always kind of been a lifelong great fan that's Pete Martini who grew up in Salem graduated from Sprague High School where he played football he uh, has been working at the Salem Statesman Journal since 2006 and covered high school and college sports. And his last byline published on Monday. Uh, he's survived by his father, his sister, brother-in-law, nephew, niece, all of Kelso, Washington, and uh, a whole bunch of athletes like Anthony Gold, who just joined us, who... Uh, you know, had the pleasure of being subjects of his coverage. Leave it here. Oregon football coach Dan Lanning in the 4 o'clock hour. Punch it audio in the 4 o'clock hour. 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. I was at the airport today. I got to say something about the airport just real quick. I got to get this off my chest. Like, you find out a lot about people at the airport. You find out if people are self-aware at the airport. You find out if people are rude at the airport. You also sort of get this melting pot of any region at their uh, international or regional airport, um, you know, because you got to make decisions when you go to the airport. You have to make a decision like, you know, what am I packing? What am I wearing? What am I going to bring with me? You know, uh, am I grooming myself today or not? You know, you have to make some decisions. There's some decisions that have to be made that are revealing, you know. So you see sometimes you see people look like they're camping coming through the airport other times you know business guys in a suit he's got a briefcase going through the airport people with kids you know they look like they uh you know they're pushing a giant cart filled with all their luggage kids hanging off the sides like you know it's just a it's an interesting uh scene at the airport but nothing gets me more of my travel peeve than people who are not self-aware like i can i look i'm i'm entertained by what you're wearing what you're bringing Choices you're making, choices I'm making, we can, you know, entertain each other that way. But I, when you step off a plane, if you're getting off a plane and you step off the plane and you're a little confused about are you connecting to a flight, which way is baggage claim, where is the restroom, you know, questions that, that hit you as you come up the jetway. The one thing you don't want to do is not be self-aware. You got people behind you who are also deplaning, 
Like, there should be a voice in your head that says, hey, I'm not sure where I'm going. I need to step out of the way. I have seen this sin committed over and over at airports where people who are deplaning, simply thinking of themselves and no one else, step off that jetway, and what do they do? They stop. They don't even get in an athletic position. It's not a jump stop. They just stop, and they just stand there bewildered for a moment while traffic behind them starts to build up. And I always say under my breath, that's a great place to stop. Man, they don't hear it. It's just me kind of saying, be self-aware, damn it. Like, or, or the other thing that gets me, and this doesn't have to be at an airport, just people who aren't, like, conscientious, who aren't, you know, it's not even rude. It's just like a total lack of awareness of others. And that occurs in grocery stores, people hold, not failing to hold a door, people in traffic, you know, if you're in a parking lot. Like, you, can, you see that everywhere. But, man, the airport is a, is a reveal. It really is. Because you have to make decisions. Steven, you and I are traveling. you got to go, okay, am I bringing a bag? Am I checking said bag? Am I bringing a big suitcase, a small suitcase? Am I bringing a duffel bag? Am I just going to wear what's on my body and wash it every day? Like, you have to make a decision that that becomes evident to the rest of us when you're traveling. And there's no, I mean, there's no right answer, but there's also answers that will, like you said, it, it kind of defines who that person is as a person. And you can tell, like, what they're about in their life, right? Like, you know, you could tell. And so it's, it is a weird situation. And I'm with you on the thing where people just stop and they just don't know what they're doing. That is one of the worst things that I, I just hate. I hate when people just stop. Yeah. And people do that all the time, not only just at the airport, but just in life. So, in life, yes. oh, God, it's the worst. It's, it's, I, think it's in a, I think it's rude, and I think it, it's in that genre of rudeness because it, it sort of just says, I'm not even thinking about anybody else, and I'm just going to stop right here because I have to make a decision, and I don't care about everybody else who's passing by. And it's, and it's particularly bothersome at Portland International Airport right now because if you have not been into the airport lately, they have this construction that's been going on for, like, years that they say they keep saying, you know, don't, you know, don't mind our dust. And I don't mind your dust, but can we, can we move this along? Like, can we get this airport project moved along? And so what happens in that airport concourse, like when you come into the airport, whether you are – picking somebody up at the airport or dropping somebody off or taking a flight yourself or returning from a flight is there the passageways are a little bit narrowed and so i do think it kind of underscores the uh the the those of us out there that are not uh thinking about other people you're just literally going to be in the way and you know you're you're going to be in the way of everybody else and and to me i think that's a little bit rude like i just think it's in that genre it's not like just totally being rude, like stealing somebody's parking spot that they've been waiting for. But it's in that it's in that uh, area. It's in the same section of the store. It's, it's just they have no – they're just oblivious to what's going on around them, right? And they just – they have yeah. no – they just don't care about what other people are doing. It's all about themselves at that moment. Yes. Like, there's – in their own thoughts. I, I want to, like, yeah. I don't necessarily care about a lot of people or a lot of things when I'm going around <laughs> in my life. But, like, I do care about, like, my, my area, my little bubble. Like, I got to be aware of what's going on. And if you're getting off a plane, you know it goes row by row. You're not one of these people who kind of just rushes up to the front of the plane. And I'm, I always say to that person, I'm like, I get it. Like, hey, if you're connecting on a flight and you're like an organ donor and you're trying to connect on a flight, just announce that and we'll all get out of your way and we'll all we'll cheer for you as you're getting off the plane. But if you're not, you know, you're not late to connect for a flight or, you're, or your significant other's not, you know, in 
in in in the uh, labor department at the uh, hospital giving birth, then just you know wait the thirty seconds that it takes for the two rows in front of you to deplane. Uh, I do think the airport's great for people watching, though. It's phenomenal for people watching because you know you just get this amazing cross section of people and. You have like a lot of moving things. Like it involves time, it involves travel, it involves stress, and so you do get some really interesting people watching. Uh, Joe's in Vancouver. Joe, what, what's on your mind? Yeah, John, I uh, I see these people all the time in the store, at the airport. We call them June bugs. They don't know where they're going. Yes. They just cut in front of you. They stop. Reckless. Yeah. I always just say, Joe, I'll say out loud, I'll say that's that's a good place to stop. I'm being sarcastic, but I'll be like, that's a really good place to stop. Just stand right there, right in the middle of the row with, like, you know, four families pushing carts, people trying to get by. You know, everybody has to kind of account for this one human being who is just frozen in place, going like looking around like they're playing croquet on the lawn and there's nothing else to do. Ugh. I digress. Dan Lanning coming up at 420. He'll be with us to talk about the Oregon Ducks. They are hosting USC. Questions for Dan Lanning. Think about it. Tweet him at me, at John Canzano BFT. What do you want me to ask Oregon's coach? What's on your mind? I'll try to slip in a question or two from a listener if you do that. Uh, tweet at me, again, at John Canzano BFT. Punch and audio's next, though. We're going to play... Punch an audio. We'll get you all caught up on what's going on. Uh, Stephen, I want you to think about it, too. If you got a question, I should slip in for Dan Lanning. Maybe give it to me in the next segment uh, when we come back on air. But I'm mainly going to ask him, you know, how does he prepping for USC, this change of coordinator, um, you know, the, the, the marathon that a season is, where do they feel like they're, you know, it's like the seventh inning of a season, where, you know, how are they feeling, how locked in are they, how healthy are they? Leave it here. What should I ask Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, when he makes his visit coming up here in about 20 minutes? What's on your mind, Stephen, as it uh, pertains to that? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Lanning clips this week, you know, his little interviews and he does. I do hear a lot about the recruiting that goes on between USC and Oregon, the battles that they have. I want to know, like, how much one game really matters in the recruiting cycle. Like, I feel like the guys that are visiting the school, it's not even necessarily going to be about the game. It's about, you know, the all the facilities and all the benefits they can get from going to Oregon. And I feel like the game is almost secondary, but I want to know, like, how big of a deal the actual game on the field is to these guys. So the question being... Yeah, I don't know what the question would be, but... All right, yeah, give me an idea. I'm Dan Lanning. Okay, let me, let me, uh, let me just. I'll, ch- I'll channel Dan Lanning here. Okay. All right, all right. Hey, we're we're ready for USC, right? Like that that our guys are stoked. It's a night game. We're gonna be under the lights. I just barbecued. You know. What movie did you watch? <laughs> I just watched Godfather Three. I don't know. Have you watched that movie? Um, all right. What are you asking me? How much does a win on the field? matter in in your eyes when it comes to recruiting when you're battling against USC. Okay, so the game on the field versus maybe the bigger 20,000 foot view of the program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we all kind of think, like, I, I, I remember covering Oregon. When Oregon, you know, when we think about recruiting, you think about head-to-head recruiting battles, but you remember when Oregon scheduled Michigan and played Michigan, 
and uh, you know, go went to Ann Arbor, in and played against uh, you know the University of Michigan. I went to that game that Oregon was playing. I think it was uh, it was the 2007 game in Ann Arbor, and Oregon ran the Statue of Liberty, and beat Michigan 39 to seven. People may remember that. And I got to tell you, I was on the field after the game, and Michigan had a bunch of recruits there to to watch the game. And Oregon just boat raced them, okay? 39-7 was the final. And I'm interviewing some Oregon player on the field, and I look over, and these three Michigan guys were kids that were uh, high school kids who Michigan was recruiting, were standing on the field, and I said, what did you think of that? And they went, we want to go to Oregon. So it was maybe it was one game. Now I don't know if those kids ever went to Oregon. I should go back and look at that. But that was a win at Michigan that you know people thought would mean a lot to uh, recruits, and I think it did in the end. But I think it's a bigger brand thing. But I'll, I'll let's see what Dan Lanning says. That's a good question. I love that. Tweet at me at John Canzano BFT. More questions for Dan Lanning. Let's play some punch it. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, what will USC look like on defense? Mason Cobb, linebacker USC, talking about how different they might be. Hey, complete confidence, man. I, man, that guy. You know, I, I talked to him Sunday. Came and visited with him, and um, you know, he kind of you know talked about you know what he wanted to do, and, and he knows he knows exactly what he wants, and um, you know, he has respect to players. You know, he's listening to us and our opinions, and um, I think he's doing a great job. You know, it, it's and he, he's been ready for the opportunity. I think you know he, he's one of the hardest coach, working coaches I've met in my life. Um, so, man, props to him. You know, this you know bad way for opportunities like this, it, it might come. Not how you want it. Uh, you might lose a brother, you might lose a friend in it, but uh, yeah, I'm excited for Coach you know, to have the opportunity for sure. Mace, Mason Cobb says it's show business, not show friends. We'll see how that that comes out in the end, because I think uh, you know there there's more to this than just changing out a coach. Will they line up differently? Will they line up correctly? Will they have gap integrity? Will players who were blowing assignments start? You know, playing better? I don't know. Joel Klatt talking about Oregon's defense. He says it's going to be a big, big, big test for USC and Caleb Williams. Here's Klatt. Punch it. Caleb Williams is going to be under duress. This is the best defense that Caleb Williams will have faced up to this point. Better than Notre Dame. Sorry, Notre Dame. They can rush the passer. They can stop the run. Marshawn Lloyd did not play last week against Washington. Austin Jones stepped in. Did a really nice job. 11 carries, 127 yards. I just don't think that they're going to be able to run against Oregon. Ask Utah how difficult it is to run against Oregon. By the way, Utah was trying to do that at home, a place where they win all the time. Now USC's going to go to Autzen and all of a sudden play like some complete game? I'm sorry, but a change in defensive coordinator is not going to all of a sudden change the Trojans. Okay? This, this is a team that likely will have a harder time offensively than they want to admit because Oregon is so good on the defensive side. Oregon is good on the defensive side. But 
Oregon's played its best defensive games against teams that it could make one-dimensional. So the key for this USC battle is how easy will it be for Oregon to either take away the run game or take away the pass game? And I don't think it's going to be quite as easy. I still like Oregon big, like by 21 or more. But Utah was a different animal for Oregon. Colorado was a different animal for Oregon. What Oregon could do to those teams, Colorado, you don't have to worry about them running the ball. Pin your ears back and come after Shadur Sanders. They're not going to run. Utah had trouble passing the ball. Oregon was able to adjust and, and really just suffocated Utah. I think I think Caleb Williams and USC will score a little bit. I th- but I do th- I agree with Joel Clad. I mean, it, I think Oregon's defense is better than Utah's. I think it's better than Washington's. I I agree with that point. The, USC they throw the ball down the field. That's one thing Oregon hasn't faced all season except for against Washington, who who is third at yards per attempt in the nation. USC's ninth. Besides that, Oregon hasn't faced very many teams. They in fact they faced five in the bottom 35 in the nation in yards per attempt down the field. So a lot of their opponents aren't known to be able to throw the football down the field. Caleb Williams can do that. So we'll see. The, you know, the secondary is really going to get tested for Oregon because Caleb Williams is so elusive. He's going to buy time and get some you know time to look down the field and make some plays. So that, that's where I think Oregon's going to be tested. And if they can stop that, I think they, they can win easy. But I think USC is going to have some success throwing the football down the field. That's why I kind of think USC has you know a chance to at least keep this game close and stay within that number. I think the key for USC is on the defensive side of the ball. Can they keep Oregon from getting away from them? And by getting away from them, I, I think USC can score 24 points in this game. I think that's where they'll live. Can they keep Oregon from getting into deep into the 30s and into the 40s? And that's I just don't know if they can. Jonathan Smith says he's excited for the Beavers to be back home where they are very good at Research Stadium. They've got Stanford on Saturday. Here's Oregon State's coach on our show yesterday. Punch it. Uh, we're definitely excited. Uh, one, to get back home. We haven't played, it feels like, a month back here because we had to buy and then th- two straight road games. So excited about that idea, this opportunity. Um, and they're, the games are big. And the bigger they are, you know, the more you win, the bigger they are. And the bigger in November. That's exactly what we wanted, to play our best football in November, playing the bigger games in November. And we're sitting here with an opportunity with it. Got what they wanted, but man, if the Washington State game or the Arizona game had only fallen differently by three points each, Oregon State would be in a far more advantageous position right now. They'd they'd still have a mulligan, so to speak. The, they don't have one. They have to beat Stanford. They have to beat Washington. They have to beat Oregon. It's the only way they get to Vegas. But the fact that that home field is sold out again, meaning there isn't a ticket available this season, Oregon State sold them all, is remarkable. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, is, they're being sued. Defensive tackle DeSanto Rollins is suing Kiffin and Ole Miss in federal court, wants $10 million in compensatory damages, $30 million in punitive damages, claims Lane Kiffin ignored signs that the defensive tackle was suffering from depression and that the coach treated Rollins in a way that was grossly reckless and indifferent. Rollins had notified Kiffin that he would be taking a mental health break at the end of the meeting. This was happened on February 27th. Kiffin told the player he would be moved from his position to scout team. And uh, audio 
of that exchange has surfaced. Ironically, or coincidentally, right in the middle of that case. Punch it. If you would have come here, when you kept getting messages, the head coach wants to talk to you, and you saying, I'm not ready to talk to him. What was it? Well, what f***ing world do you live in? I don't see why you got to be disrespectful on us. Get out of here. Go. Go. You're off the team. You're done. See ya. See ya. Because I'm... See ya. Go. Go. And guess what? We can kick you off the team. So go read your f***ing rights about mental health. We can kick you off the team for not showing up. When the head coach has to meet with you and you don't show up for weeks, okay, we can remove you from the team. It's called being the f***. It's called hiding behind sh not showing up to work. Rollins uh, brought up his mental health issues. And uh, in the end, Lane Kiffin can be heard calling him names at the end of the thing. And motion to dismiss the case filed yesterday by Ole Miss um, was, uh, was not granted. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin will have to uh, see this through. Certainly um, makes you think about mental health, the relationship between coaches and players. Just a bad look for Lane Kiffin. Like, even if you are disappointed that the kid didn't show up, the minute I think the player cites a mental health issue, I think you got to have some compassion, do you not? Like, Stephen, what did you hear there? Yeah, I mean, you got to have some compassion. He, he, there's a couple things, though, John. Like, for me... There's also in the article it said that basically Ole Miss had been trying to reach out to this player for about a month, and they hadn't had any contact with him. And then he came back and was still upset because, you know, they are trying to move in positions. For that, like, I, I'm on Lane's side. Like, you can't just leave for a month, not talk to anybody, and then expect things to be the exact same. Like, I can't just leave the show for a month, John, without telling you or citing mental issues and then come back after a month of not talking and then expect to be right where I am. Like, I just, for that, I feel for him. But he also showed that he has no compassion for the guy. He cares about winning football games because he was calling him names. He was going, he threw him under the bus. Like, I feel for both of these guys. Like, yes, he had some mental issues and he's got to get those taken care of. But he also has to stay in some type of communication with the coaching staff. Like, I, I don't yeah, know. But I think that's a hard thing. If somebody's dealing with a mental health issue, they don't act rationally. They don't, you know, they don't want to be in contact. I mean, I think anybody who's at a family member or a friend or a co-worker who is struggling knows like it's the it's the most frustrating thing to try to get them what you think is bad get them the help that you think is best for them and they won't they won't get to it but you know when he, he kicks him off the team he says he's done with him almost yeah. did put out a statement saying they ha- that he's still on scholarship and he's still on the roster for what it's yeah. worth i think it's a little bit of lane kiffin I think it shows that, this. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it's a bad look for Lane. It makes him look like he doesn't care about anything except for winning football games. So for that, like, yeah, I'm on the kid's side. On another note, Rick Neuheisel telling a story of when Jim Harbaugh called him out for cheating. Harbaugh called out Neuheisel. Here's Neuheisel. Punch it. What is the policy etiquette of ratting out a program? Like, if you got information... You know, would you share that with somebody, uh, a reporter or the NCAA, if you knew that they were up to something nefarious? 
I think what we all would like to say we would do is go straight to the source, which is mean if you had a suspicion that Jim Harbaugh was doing something, you'd go straight to Jim Harbaugh. I know he did that to me. He thought I was he thought I was uh, involved with a recruit uh, at a time where I couldn't be on in, in phone conversation with him. Or I couldn't call the recruit, and he called me out and, and accused me of it. I said, Jim, absolutely not. The kid called me. Uh, it was a kid out of Stockton uh, by the name of Philip Rule, a kind of walk-on fullback that you know walk-ons couldn't get into Stanford. So this was a unique uh, uh, guy for him. Wait, so Harbaugh really, calls you and says, "Oh yeah, he called me every name in the book, saying I was cheating," and I said, "You're absolutely out of your mind. I have not. I've got all the phone records. You can see that Phil Rule called me wanting to come to UCLA, but we had it out on the phone. There was nothing going back." Uh, give and take. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I I was privy to a story once upon a time, a recruiting story that's kind of funny. I mean, there are a couple of them. First of all, um, you know, Jerry Tarkanian was recruiting a kid in New Jersey, who whose the Italian kid in New Jersey, whose mother loved Frank Sinatra, and Tark had Frank Sinatra call the mom. Is part of the recruitment of the kid. Like, you know, is that a, is that a uh, violation? I don't know. But Tark also told me another story about Jim Calhoun, the Connecticut coach. I mean, this just show you like all's fair in love and recruiting, I guess. But Jim Calhoun, the UConn coach, told a recruit that Tark was dying of cancer, and he wasn't. And so Tark was like, the kid was telling him, you know, I'm not so sure I want to come play. And he was kind of beating around the bush as to why not and think I'm going to UConn. And, and he finally said, Coach Calhoun told me, that, you know, that you have cancer. And he said, you know, no, I don't have cancer. But he, but he still didn't hate Jim Calhoun. He just kind of said, ah, that's kind of the recruiting business. <laughs> you know, just shows you. I just love Jim Harbaugh and Rick Neuheisel being at odds. Uh, that, that would be a good debate, you know. Newheisel's so smart. Harbaugh's so emotional. Like, can you imagine that phone call, Stephen? Got to be real awkward. And I can imagine Harbaugh just going in there, just so defensive, just cussing him out, just trying to show him who's boss. And Newheisel's just saying, like, what are you talking about? Jim, get out of here. Yeah. And Newheisel's just smart. You just pull the scalpel out, take care of it. Well, I, I, like, did, I, I, yeah. I was gonna say I like that Newhouse said he had all the all the records and stuff too. Like you know, yeah. you, you can't you can't trick me, Jim. Well, I don't know how all these records out. Well, Newhouse has a law degree, you know, from UCLA. So <laughs> you can't get me, man. You're not gonna get him on anything except playing in an NCAA tournament pool. Apparently, uh, all right, leave it here. Dan Lanning's coming up, Oregon coach. So what do we talked about today? We've talked about um, rude people in public places. I don't mind if you're rude at your house. Like if you're a rude person. And have at it. You could be rude at your house, but don't be in an airport. Don't be in a grocery store parking lot. If you're a rude person, you know, avoid public places. And we don't have a problem. Uh, what have we talked about? We talked about that. We talked about some college football. What do we have now? We got Dan Lanning, University of Oregon football coach, joining us. How you doing, man? John, what's good? I'm doing good, man. I like. I, I don't know what I miss, but rude people that. It's always fun to me to make rude people uncomfortable by being so nice to them. It's really hard to be rude. You know what I mean? I'll tell you this. You're probably traveling on private planes, but, like, being on an airplane or being at an airport these days, the rude people out themselves. They just out themselves. 
Yeah, I, I imagine. Is it, so let me ask you this, since we're talking about airplanes. Yeah. Is it is it bad etiquette to lean your seat back? Uh, I think you got to be situationally aware. If, you know, who's behind right. you, how wide are those, you know, you know I... I, I I've been on planes and it seems like there's no consistency with the uh, with the width of the uh, rows. You know, if you if you're sitting in someone behind somebody behind you has got you know a kid or a baby on their lap, no, you should not be leaning back. You got to be self aware. I think you just have to be self aware in general. You know, have you ever been like laying the seat back and you're just disappointed that it really doesn't go that far anyway? Like it just feels <laughs> yeah. like a letdown. Holy like, if you look yeah. around, you're like, okay, wait, there's a four-year-old behind me. They got the seat to themselves. I can definitely lean this back. Yeah. And then you lean it back, and you're like, what was that? Is it even very, leaning back? Very <laughs> disappointing. It's like open, opening a bag of chips, and it's like a third full. And you're like, this, what, am yeah, I, but what, what did I just buy? Yeah, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> what did I just that's buy? That's usually a good yeah. thing. <laughs> usually. Yeah. Usually. Hey, um, we're going to be all over the place in this interview, okay? Uh, you know, you know um, I don't like to do the traditional interviews, but let us let me ask you this. I you you grow up. You, I remember your dad saying that as a kid he took you like to a Kansas City Chiefs game, and it was the biggest thing ever because you guys Green didn't Bay get Packers, to... Green okay. Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, like 14th row, 50 yard line. It was awesome. We got tickets from the um, a guy at uh, Hardin's, like a small town next to Richmond, Missouri, and this guy ran an auto body shop and he had season tickets, and my dad got a couple tickets there. I'll remember that game like yesterday. So you as a younger kid you watched him you saw him on TV now you're finally at the stadium did that deliver in your mind or was it like what you th- was Arrowhead like oh. what you thought it would be Yes it's heaven it was heaven I mean we got to walk around and smell the tailgate you know Kansas City's you know kind of famous for barbecue and I've I've been told I haven't been to a lot of NFL games in fact the only NFL games I've ever been to were, were the Chiefs but it has the closest thing to a you know a, a college atmosphere as far as the tailgate and those pieces and you know that year it was the the year that um, you know Sports Illustrated picked Green Bay and the Kansas City Chiefs to play in the Super Bowl so it was kind of like the precursor um, for both those teams to have really good seasons you know Brett Favre it was uh, it was fun you know Neil Smith Derek Thomas I, yeah I remember it really well. Do you remember like you know who was your guy on that team like who what player was your your player? I love Derek Thomas. I, I love Derek Thomas. He was uh, he was certainly my favorite player. Defensive guy, it, you could use a guy like that in any college defense, couldn't you? I think everybody could use a Derek Thomas in their life. Yeah, <laughs> anybody they, they they would take a Derek. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. All right, so you get there early, you walk around, you smell the tailgate, you watch the football game. You know, do you remember any of the football that day? Yeah, the Chiefs won. I mean, I remember the Chiefs winning distinctly, but uh, yeah, I remember a lot of moments from that game. It's weird. It's weird the things that you remember well in your life. I remember having hot chocolate because it was cold. Man, it was mm-hmm. a cold game. I remember eating gummy worms, and my dad drove like a stiff a stick trip. Uh, a, what do you call it? Stick shift. Uh, manual truck. So I remember riding that truck into the stadium. It was just one of those moments where you remember a lot of pieces from that game, watching the guys warm up. I mean, um, it's funny how moments like that stick out to you, but that's that's one of those days. I couldn't have been very old, but I remember it really well. I think it was, I don't know, maybe 90, 94, 95, so okay. um, it's a while ago. All right, so you're hitting on something. My wife and I have talked about this. She She keeps reminding me. She says, take mental snapshots. Like, be conscious of Mm-hmm. what you're seeing and and so it sounds like you took a mental snapshot that day probably over and over again and it, and that's 
And that's probably why you go back to that moment, because you probably realized as it's unfolding, like, this is special. Absolutely. And what's hard, you know, for me, John, is I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, but I can remember (laughs) almost every detail, every detail of that day. You know what I mean? And um, that's the way game day feels for me. Like, I can remember a play from the second quarter. You know, I I remember those, but um, I could care less what I ate for lunch or, you know, that that sort of thing. What's... um, the, but when when you're in the moment, when you have special moments like that, man, it is so important to take some mental snapshots. What did you have for lunch today? Um, so I, I'm I don't I'm not really doing lunch right now. I'm doing uh, I did like a meal replacement um, okay. shape, trying okay. to shed some pounds here, trying to be you know svelte. Um, but it had a little spinach in it, some blueberries. Um, yeah. Our, our nutritional staff does an awesome job. So Brenda makes break, made me a shake for right when I walk off the practice field, and that's kind of lunch. But I'm excited about dinner. I'm, I'm going to go ham for dinner. I don't know what I'm going to have, but I'm I'm going to do something. So did, was this a decision you came up with, or did like your wife say, "Hey, time to get on the shakes," or what? You know, is this just like you're in no. season? You know. No, Sophia likes me thick, but um, no, I just decided I was going to try to be conscientious about it. I always lose weight during season, you know, stress and coffee will kind of do that to you. But I, I just, I decided to do like kind of this intermittent fasting deal where I really don't eat after 10 at night. And I, my, my first meal is really right when I get off the practice field. And that first meal is just a replacement shake. And then yeah. it kind of lets me do whatever I want late at night, which during football, that's kind of how it works. Like you get home at 1130 at night and then you go in the fridge and you're like, okay, cool. Lunch yep. meat. Oh, look, there's, uh, there's fried chicken. I'll take a bite of that. And then <laughs> how about some gushers and a, and a bowl of cereal? Like you just don't eat all day. And then you're at night, you just crush it. So I decided to just be a little bit more conscientious about the whole thing. And, um, it's paid off. I've, I've shed a couple pounds. It's been good. That's why listeners come to the show. See, now you can, you can eat more like your head football coach. USC has changed coordinators. Um, I, I feel like I had this conversation last week with Oregon State. They were playing Colorado, who changed play callers. And now from a defensive standpoint, it's not like they're bringing in a guy from Mars. I mean, this is Alex Grinch's friend and one of his best friends and probably the same scheme. And, you know, maybe they'll get lined up correctly. I don't know. But does it change at all what you do or you just stay focused on what you do? I think it's a combination. What you have to do early is have early eyes in the game of, okay, what's different? And I would anticipate there's going to be some changes, but it's hard to go wholesale changes. Um, You study, you know, these guys in in previous stops. Like I know Coach Odom actually, last game he called, he was the, you know, the D coordinator, interim D coordinator for Oklahoma versus Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. So that's, you know, something you watch. He has a history of being Missouri and other places. Same with Coach Nua. You kind of look at their – their background and their history, and then you look at their personnel. And um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if they're different or not. I think early on you got to kind of go in with camp rules and say, okay, here's what we've seen on film so far, but let's ID quickly. Are they doing the same things? Are they doing something different? What would happen if you tried to do a wholesale change of something, even within your own program? You really only get two practice days, right? I mean, the way the, a week goes. No, nah, we work harder than that. <laughs> but, but, like, like, but you don't but, get you, yeah. But like, you're right. You get a heavy Tuesday, a heavy yeah. Wednesday practice, and then Thursday's a little bit lighter. Monday's a little bit lighter. It's hard. It'd be hard to make a wholesale change in the middle of the week. And um, I think you have to be really conscientious about what do you want to change, you know. And we've certainly had some of those closed door discussions on our staff. Okay, like if that was you, what would you do different? 
Um, and those are the things you try to anticipate, but you don't know what you'll see until you really step out there on the field. Dan Lanning with us, Oregon football coach. These games are always big. I think in the eyes of fans, they go, okay, this is a big recruiting battle. This game, it's USC, it's Oregon. How much do you think one game, one win matters to recruits, or are they looking more at the big picture, 20,000 feet? Look, in our business and my position, they all matter. And this one's really, really important, right? They're they're all really, really important. I think we all know the goals that sit in front of us um, and the opportunities that sit in front of us. And from a recruiting perspective, uh, from a what what we want to accomplish with this team perspective, you know, every one of these matters. And this is certainly a big one because it's the next one. I remember being in Ann Arbor. Oregon played at Michigan a lot of years ago. I'm on the field after the game. Oregon just pounded Michigan 39-7 and there were a bunch of kids that were there for Michigan you know sitting with the sideline passes at the end of the game and I'm walking by and I go what'd you guys think and they go we want to go to Oregon but it it doesn't feel quite that simple they you know they're they're kids that probably knew Oregon's brand and so it's brand 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 kids you know all over the country know who you are know what you're doing but uh that you know I I can't think that a kid would pick a college based on one game so this game you're talking about, was that, that was before Connor uh, Stallions was there, or was this after? <laughs> it must have been after. Or maybe it was before. It was before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it must have been before. So, um, yeah, sorry, bad joke. You can not so, help yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they all matter, right? You remember yeah. moments um, as a kid, like games that were impressionable yeah. to you, and, and uh, th- this is a big game, right? They're all big. They're all big. You you can't make any of them smaller than um, than what they really are. And this one's big. It's important. We recruit heavy in California. Um, we want to have success there. We've had a lot of success there. But these games certainly impact that. So um, it should be a fun one, man. There, there's a lot of talent on uh, their roster. They have good coaches over there. They're obviously one of the most explosive offenses in college football. So they present some unique challenges. And uh, we got a good football team, too. So it's going to be two good, good football yep. teams battling it out. Um, should be a fun to see what the result plays out to be. People ask me about Bo Nix, and you know, I say, you know, the thing that impresses me is I don't see him make mistakes. Now he probably makes them, but I don't see him making that mistake he, where he throws the ball in the wrong place and uh, it, something bad happens or he looks uh, a little rattled. I mean, but you tell me, am I giving people bad info? Info is, I mean, is he making mistakes I don't see or? What, what does that guy give you? No, you're right. He he doesn't make mistakes. Um, and, and sometimes you, you could watch the film as a coach and say, okay, I would have seen that different. But you know what Bo does with that play is he makes it a better play. So, um, you know, he's the kind of guy that is decisive out there in the field. He makes great decisions. He has a, a ton of confidence in himself and the players around him. Um, and then, again, I've, I've, I say it every week, but this guy gets us into plays as well. He understands the game plan. I just left the game plan meeting. Um, just not that long ago, and, and Bo sits in that meeting with us. And uh, it's a bunch of coaches in the room. We're all sitting around, and guess what? It's our quarterback that's in that meeting as well. And he's talking about what his reads are, um, how does he see a play, and it lets us all get in sync in unison. So I don't get a lot of surprises on game day because we, we've already played the game so many times throughout practice in those meetings. Is, is he different than – Maybe when you were, you know, he's coming to Oregon, he's in the portal, and he f- was, you know, fresh out of the portal. How much different is he now in those meetings or those settings? 
Well, it's no different than me first getting here. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm a lot different than when I first came to Oregon. And it's about, you know, it's not necessarily you walk in the door and you say you're going to trust somebody. It's more, hey, give me an opportunity to earn your trust, right? And then the minute I prove I'm not trustworthy, then okay, you can see it differently. Well, all Bo Nix has done since he's been in this organization is prove that everyone deserves his trust to go out there and execute at the highest level uh, and perform at the highest level. And when you have trust, man, it's a lot different. The um, the way you feel as a coach, the way you feel as players around him, I think that changes everything. Dan Lanning with us, a svelte Dan Lanning uh, joining us, Oregon football coach. <laughs> Not yet. Working um, on it. <laughs> when you say you want to get svelte, like how many pounds are we talking about? You want to lean out? Are we talking like five pounds, eight pounds? What are we talking about? So I'm down, um, since the season started, I'm down about 15. And uh, I don't know, I could go I could go another 10. We'll see. I don't, I don't need to look super skinny. But um, I mean, I got—I still got some bad weight. We'll see. I, I think yeah. before it's all said and done, I could be down about twenty-five. Yeah, because your brand, I think, is you—you know—you got a little stubble going. You, you like to barbecue. You—you you know, you want to play tough on defense. You can't be giving those speeches in the locker room and look anemic. Yeah, that would be rough, right? I got It might be time for me to start pumping some iron. So I tore my bicep last uh, spring during spring ball, and that's kind of been my excuse not to like lift weights Damn. because my bicep is torn. But it doesn't feel quite as bad as it did before. So maybe it's time to maybe start doing some curls, you know, some, you know, some push-ups again. But um, I've kind of avoided it for a while. How did that happen? What were you doing? I was kind of jacking around on the football field, and apparently these guys are a little stronger than I give them credit for, and uh, maybe I'm not ready to go out yeah. there and play a game anymore. But, uh, yeah, I get a little juice, man, at practice. Um, so a PRP shot, you know, I'm feeling a little yeah. bit better. We'll, we'll see. All right, so when it happened, did you did you immediately know, oh, oh crap? Like Immediately, yeah. yeah, immediately. And then I made it worse because I don't really stop, and I, ne- I never had surgery for it. Um, so, yeah. It's something at some point we'll need to make a decision what we do. But right now, it feels pretty good. I'm still able to sling the ball around. So one thing I like to do at practice, especially when you play these teams that uh, they run multiple plays. So, like, you're running – let's say you're running an RPO and there's a run play. Yeah. But it also has a pass play off of it. One thing I like to do is I like to be the quarterback for the pass play while there's a run play going on. So we're running the ball with, you know – seven or eight of the defenders are playing the run, but now the DB gets an opportunity to play the pass. And I like to go out there and throw the passes. You know, kind of like that Pete Carroll video you saw where he's, yeah. like, just chopping yeah. up the defense. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be that guy for the Ducks. So we, we kind of run the two plays within one at the same time and um, keep that same, same mindset. But it's tough when you have a bum bicep. So i got to get it loose a little bit and go out there and, and do my best. Yeah, you got to play hurt. Uh, Pete Carroll, he's an older yeah. guy. He's an older guy. Do you want to be around coaching? Seem, you know, do you want to be seem old though? Does he? I know he doesn't. He plays young. He play. He seems young. Right. He's, he's cool. Like one of my grandpas was that way. He just wore wore cool sunglasses and tennis shoes, and you thought, gosh, this guy plays young. But give me an idea. Do you want to be like that seventy five year old guy out coaching, or you know, like I'll hold this clip if you are that seventy five year old guy. I'll hold it over your head. But you tell me, like right now. Could you see yourself coaching at that age? What I would tell you, probably more importantly, is it would be hard for me not to picture football in my life. Like that, That's kind of like a fix for me. Um, now, I don't know that I've ever been hung up on like when, where, how, Like, but 
if I'm 80, I feel like I'll at least be out there with a high school football team somewhere, and I don't care really what my role is. Let me coach the holders, but it'd be hard to picture my life without football. Maybe your kids are coaching and you're like, you know, you're a consultant, show up to practice. Yeah, like senior defensive analyst type deal or something, yeah. you think? Good gig. Good hopefully, gig. Hopefully, hopefully it'd be interesting in coaching. That'd be awesome. All right, you got USC. I'm mean, before I let you go. A lot was made of Caleb Williams and that emotional scene with his mom. I didn't mind it. I like a little emotion. I saw some of your guys after the Washington game had tears in their eyes and they were leaving the field. And Washington was on the other side, had tears in their eyes for a different reason. And I don't mind a little emotion. How do you feel about that? And what do you think about people who criticize players for for showing that emotion? I don't get hung up on the opinions of others. Um, you know, emotion matters. You, you, I've certainly been guilty of being on the wrong side and the right side uh, of those moments. And uh, I'm not ashamed to say I've cried after games before, and I, I probably will cry again after games. That's just the reality. Um, but, look, you play this game, and you're, it's so important to you. It matters so much to you. Um, dif- different people handle it in different ways, and the reality is nobody else's opinion matters but your own. I I think it's weird that people would say, you know, we, we never get these guys to be real. They're not in interviews. They never give an authentic answer. And then criticize somebody for showing some emotion, positive, negative, crying, whatever, after, you know, a game. I, I, I want to see that. I want to, you know, I want to know that these guys care. And I didn't mind it, you know. I, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the opinion, opinion business, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it happens. I, I, you know, people pick the stage that they, that it happens on. You know, you, you you're not gonna see it for me very often. Um, but when the doors close and you get a moment to go back and decompress, it's like, man, this is such an emotional game. It means so much to everybody that's involved. It's it's hard. It's uh, it's hard when it doesn't go right. And I respect people that care so much about the game that it means that much to them. I I, I certainly know that. And um, everybody's got a different way of showing it, but. Um, the people I'm, I want to be around when moments aren't right are, are the people in that locker room that matter the most. I'll tell you this. I, one of my kids is playing soccer, and she scores a goal, and I could tell what it meant to her. I had to look away. My eyes were glassy. You, 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 get, that with your, you, you get that with your kids, right? I mean, you, you have those moments, too, and you understand that you've you're, you got glassy eyes for a different reason. How awesome is it that sports creates moments like that for us? Because you know how they feel because you've experienced that moment at one point in your life and you, you're just so enthralled and excited that they get to experience that moment for themselves and it actually affects you emotionally. That's pretty cool. It is. All right. Uh, I'm going to go get my replacement shake during the commercial break. I appreciate you. you. I appreciate you joining, joining. I would love that recipe. Get me the nutritionist uh, info. I'd love to know what they're putting in that I'll shake. I'll find out what's in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll you, find out what's in it and get back to you. All right, appreciate that. Hey, did Good we luck. Reconcile yeah. with our neighbor, John. Did we get that? Like, did you yeah. The yes. Yet? Yeah. Huh? It doesn't yeah. matter where the damn fence is. It doesn't matter if it's here or there. Nobody's using that extra eight inches of property this way, that way. Like, you know, I don't even care about it. It's just that it came up. You had to get a surveyor involved. You know, come on. Right. You know. I don't even care. So you're like, telling me, is, is it water under the bridge, or is it good? It is. We good? I mean, it, we're good. We're good. good. But the problem I have good. is I keep talking about it on radio, and then the neighbor hears you about it. Stop bringing it up. <laughs> and the neighbor hears that I got to deal with it again. <laughs> Why are you talking about? I'm me? sorry. I'll never bring <laughs> it. I'll never bring it up again. All right. All right. <laughs> Appreciate you. All right. You have a good game.
right, see you, John. All right, Dan Lanning. There he goes. Svelte Dan Lanning. How about that? He's down 15. You can't lose too much weight. You're a defensive-minded guy. You're out there recruiting. You can't be, like, you know, wafy trying to recruit guys. Uh, good stuff with Dan Lanning. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. The Kansas City Chiefs stuff was really good off the top of that. Love that scene. And we all, Anna always says that to me. She's better at this than I am. She says, take a mental snapshot when you have a moment like that with the kids or whatever, or you're at somewhere that you really want to remember. And it's true, you can draw upon it more easily. As kids, we know how to do that. As adults, I think we sometimes lose it. Leave it here. Dan Landing provided the framework for a conversation I want to have with you here and now. See, he took a mental snapshot of himself as a kid at a Kansas City Chiefs-Green Bay Packers game at Arrowhead Stadium all those years ago. The smell of the parking lot barbecue. The fact that, you know, he can remember having a hot chocolate with his dad and the stick shift of his dad's pickup truck. He remembers the details because, as a kid, they were important. It was a big deal to him. I relate to that. I can remember uh, in 1983, 83, 82, uh, right in that wheelhouse. I was about 12 years old, and my grandfather, as he would do sometimes in the spring and the summer, told me that he would take me to a San Francisco Giants day baseball game. It was a Wednesday. I remember that. I also remember that Vita Blue was on the mound pitching for the San Francisco Giants. I remember they were playing the Cubs. I remember Keith Moreland was playing right field for the Cubs, and he caught, he made a diving catch early in the game on the grass outfield at Candlestick Park. And I remember that because we were sitting down the right field line, not far from where the right fielder would be. I remember the, uh, the grass. I can see it now in my mind. I can remember the blue skies. Um, the smell of the ballpark, the sound of the ballpark. Um, take me to your moment in time, your snapshot as a kid from a sporting event you attended. 503-417-7575. Stephen, snapshot, go. Yeah, uh, I remember going to the Seattle Seahawks game up at the Kingdome against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I be- and I believe it was Sean King's first start with the Bucks, and then they went on a big run after that, but it was... It was the question of, like, well, who is this guy? What is he doing? And then he came in and had a really good game. And you're like, man, th- this Bucks team actually might be really good. Um, I- I'll-, I'll remember that going up with my parents. There's another one where we went to the, uh, you know, uh, I also that game. Uh, sorry. Same game, my dad, because he's a big Green Bay Packer fan. He's from Illinois, like, right by Green Bay, right by Wisconsin. So he grew up a Packer fan. He, uh, he brought his cheese head to that game. And so everyone thought it was really funny that he's wearing the cheese head to a you know Seattle Seahawks versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. So uh, that that was one of the funnier moments and uh, something you don't remember, like going to the Kingdome, which was just such a weird stadium, right? Like I think that's the yeah. thing. It's like you look at you know Lumen Field now and how nice it is. The Kingdome was just dark and kind of dreary around there, but it was it had one of those things had that atmosphere to it. It was unforgettable. Candlestick Park was the same way. It wasn't like a great setting, as we all know, for a game. It was windy. It could be cold. But it was unforgettable. Adam is in Kaiser. Adam, take a snapshot. Take us with you. Hey, John. Yeah, uh, I got to agree. I was, you know, my my first memory was also in the Kingdome. Uh, I'm a big Raiders fan. My very first game was when Bo Jackson met Brian Bosworth on, uh, you know, on the three, four-yard line, drug him in, and, I mean, but listen, what was neat was 
when I got there, I mean, me and my dad, we got there early. I begged him to just get me there early, get me there early. I just wanted to see the players come off the bus. And uh, so, you know, we were in the back of the kingdom. We watched the Raiders come off the bus. And to me, when I saw Howie Long come off the bus, you know, his legs were like the size of tree trunks, you know, and I was just so impressed. And, I mean, I'll never forget it. It's like, uh, you know, I, I still see it right there. And, uh, you know, then we waited and we watched the Seahawks run through. And it was just such a memorable experience in that, that, that first game, you know. Yep. Uh, very, very exciting. Yeah, it stays with you. Love the vivid detail. Mike is in Salem. Mike, take a snapshot. Hey, John. So uh, I've called you many times. I always tell you what a great show it is. and The part of you and your wife together are awesome. So I'm Thank from you. the Philadelphia area, and uh, like many Catholics, back when I was a Catholic, I was an older boy, and we went to Veterans Stadium back in like 77, 78. Um, and I remember the same vivid details you had. The, the AstroTurf was vividly green, the blue skies. It was like Mecca. Um, Never forget it. And it was baseball. But that's, yep. that's my little memory for you, man. I love that. I love that. I'm right there with you. Let's go to Klamath Falls. Mike is in Klamath Falls listening on 960 AM. Mike, go ahead. Hey, how's it going, man? So I'm from the Bay Area, and my first football game that I ever went to pro or college was with my dad, and it was Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson, and Aaron Rodgers' first game at uh, Memorial Stadium. Three Uh things stuck out to me. Well, four, I, I was just happy to go somewhere with my dad. Two, I remember thinking how cool it was just walking into this, what, you know, is essentially a stadium in a residential area, yeah. remembering how old the stadium was. And as an early teenage boy, man, I was like, man, these chicks, there's hot chicks everywhere. <laughs> so that was fun. And, yeah, and I, I, like I said, I got to see Marshawn play, Deshaun Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, and I was with my dad. It was a good time all around, man. Uh, you'll never forget it. You take a mental snapshot. It's amazing. Carrie's in Eugene on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Carrie. This is not a childhood one, but but it, it's just just snapshot, like you said. Um, my buddy and me, we had, took our, our ladies to uh, uh, Carolina Panthers and, and Seahawks. It was 2006 or something up at Lumen or uh, Seahawks Stadium, whatever it was. Right, right. Quest. And, and uh, we we'd gotten there the night before, the day before, and watched the Ducks kick the crap out of the Huskies uh, at one of the bars down on the waterfront there, and went to the game. Went up to the seats. It, it was like, oh, the Seahawks were winning. It was okay. End of the third quarter, started the fourth sometime. We, we just made our way down and had our duck ball caps on and everything. I got I got to the where you you, you, you switch back to go down, right? You come yeah, down yeah. the stairs. And you got about 30 seconds. Go ahead. And and uh, we yelled, go, turned around and yelled, go ducks. And everybody started pelting us with ice and stuff. This kid <laughs> and his grandpa in, in, duck, in duck gear was coming up the stairs and I, said good luck <laughs> i love that i love that your memory is is as as an adult getting pelted at a seahawks game uh it's not quite the same as the childhood stuff but i love that hey just remember to take a snapshot anna's always telling me that take a snap take a mental picture stop and look around the five at fives next well i love that we were talking about snapshots of your childhood can you give me a snapshot of your childhood when it comes to sports? Dan Landing did it. I did it. Steven did it. Hell, Mark and Beaverton's been holding. He's probably got a snapshot of his childhood. 
Mark, do you? Do you have one? I do, John. But like the previous caller, my uh, I'm still in my childhood, so I was in my 30s. Okay. But it wasn't just a snapshot of the game itself. It was how I got tickets to my first Dodger game. I was working at Nordstrom in Salem. Customer came in with the most beautiful Dodgers jacket. We got to talking. He said his mom had season tickets down the third baseline. Just so happened, I was going down, taking the family to Disneyland. He talked to his mom. She sent me tickets. They were 12 bucks a piece. And, oh, and Eric Carroll hits a walk-off homer, beat the Mets 5-4. to four. I love that. And you remember the details like nothing else. It's, it is. Yeah, I can tell you that there, it is still part of your childhood. I love that. Just remember to take those mental snapshots. I know it's hard. We're all busy. Yada, yada, yada. Let's play the five at five. The five at five. Steven, he's got the five biggest stories going on. Number one. Well, John, Damian Lillard is not in Portland, but... There's always news around Damian Lillard in Portland. Uh, today, Chauncey Billups, there's an article on Yahoo by Vincent Goodwill where uh, Chauncey Billups says he sees a day where there will be a reconciliation happening between the Trailblazers and Dame. Chauncey said sooner or later, talks will be had, emotion will be down, that will heal itself, and he really believes that. Uh, Billups also acknowledged how emotional it was, the trade even becoming toxic, a toxic environment when it was perceived that Lillard wouldn't get to his preferred destination in Miami. And then the, that the Bucks largely just swooped in at the last second, making a deal right before training camp. But he did say one day he feels Lillard will be welcomed back with open arms by the franchise and the fans. He's seen it and has been part of it too many times. All right. Uh, I, I tend to believe with him. I tend to believe what he's saying. But I also think it depends how Damian Lillard handles the next couple of years. Like, you know, he, he needs to stay above the fray. If it's important to him, I think he can sort of heal that uh, that divide that's there because I think a lot of Blazer fans are understanding of the position that he's in and are in it themselves as Blazer fans. Like, they're dealing with the same ownership and management issues that Lillard was dealing with. And I, and I think uh, Chauncey's seen it. He's been in the league. Number two. Well, I want to look to the for, to the future with the Trailblazers, John. They lost last night in Sacramento 121-118 in overtime, but... That's not the real story. The story is there's more injuries for the Blazers. Malcolm Brogdon, he left the game with a hamstring strain. That leaves Anthony Simons, Scoot Henderson, Malcolm Brogdon. Three guards all injured. Then earlier this week, Robert Williams hurt his knee. He'll have surgery. He's expected to miss the entire season. Uh, Blazers, they are really cursed with these injuries now. It's only uh, game eight. Two starters, two top backups out. But I will say this. Uh, they play hard defense. They're in the top ten in defensive rating, which is something that the Blazers have not done for a long time. I think uh, good for the Blazers. It's great. Um, I also think uh, the better than expected start. Like how hard the team's playing. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna nitpick at, at this point. Are I the think Blazers be... cursed though with injuries, John? I mean, just so many all the time. I don't know if that's it. I, it's hard for me to. It's hard for me to say that a team is cursed, because I think you go back and you go and you say, okay, the Sam Bowie injury, Bill Walton's feet. That just big men and the Blazers maybe didn't do their diligence. Bowie came on this show and talked about the fact that you know he was not going to tell doctors what was going on with his knees. He wanted to be drafted. He wanted to be you know he's ready to come to the NBA. Brandon Roy had knee problems prior to being picked for the Blazers. You know Joel Prisbilla, Damon Stoudemire's ruptured tendons. 
on both those guys kind of happens to players of that age. I don't know if they're snake bit. I, I think some of it is maybe once you start noticing it, you know, it pops up more frequently. But there are a lot of injuries around the NBA right now with, with players and certainly in the NFL and whatnot. Number three. NFL Players Association President J.C. Treader, he came out and said that a player has gotten fined for faking a concussion. According to Treader, a player was fined $50,000 earlier this year for allegedly faking a concussion after the medical staff told him to go down to the field. The player went through the proper concussion protocol, returned to the game after missing two plays, but he still received the fine. Treader said, quote, he came out of the game for a concussion evaluation, which was required by a jointly appointed UNC and AT spotter because of the blow to the player's head. He was evaluated for a concussion, missed the following two series. Despite the emphasis on players self-reporting the most serious of injuries, the NFL determined in the review process that a $50,000 fine was warranted, end quote. So uh, now guys are getting fined for faking concussions. The NFL, uh, with this concussion thing, this is going a little crazy. I wonder if the NFL is doing that because of its insurance policy and, and because of the medical retirement policy that they have, which results in a player getting... Uh, compensated if they retire you know series of concussions i've had concussions i gotta retire you gotta pay me anyway uh feels to me like the nfl has to be diligent on that front from an insurance standpoint but um yeah you're telling players report the concussion and then you're going oh you're getting fined uh, we don't think you had one how do you prove the guy didn't have a concussion i don't it just feels weird to me number four Major League Baseball announced their Silver Sluggers today. Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, he was named a Silver Slugger for the American League. I've catcher, the former Beeve, batted 277, 374 on base percentage, 20 home runs in his second season with the Orioles. Adley's probably the best catcher in the game already, isn't he? Uh, he's such a star. and You could see it coming when he was uh, at Oregon State. But the Silver Slugger Awards are voted by Major League Baseball managers and coaches top offensive player at each position in the league. So Adley Rutschman being recognized as the best hitting catcher in baseball. I like that. Number five. We got a banger tonight, Thursday night football battle between two rookie quarterbacks. Undrafted rookie out of Shepard University, Tyson Bajant. Goes against number one overall pick, Bryce Young. But the unique situation that is playing out tonight, John, the Bears own the Panthers' first-round pick this season because of that trade for Bryce Young. So with a win, the Bears actually improve their chances at getting the first pick in the upcoming NFL draft. A real win-win situation for Chicago. According to ESPN Analytics, the Bears, they have a 43% chance of getting the number one pick if they win tonight, which is the highest of any team in the league. If the Bears lose to the Panthers, that would fall to 28%, which is the third highest, trailing the Cardinals and Giants. So a little bit of a different thought process here. Usually you got to lose to get the first pick in the draft and tank, but the Bears are actually in a spot where they win, and they're still tanking. Good spot here to be in Chicago. Who wins? Uh, Justin Fields is inactive. Uh, you, you're talking about the you know the need for quarterbacks. Caleb Williams playing at Oregon with USC on Saturday. He'll be, I think, the number one pick in the draft. Um who wins tonight's game? I mean, I I feel like the Panthers. I, I It's funny to me because it's like there's an undrafted rookie quarterback and he's the three-and-a-half-point favorite over the number one overall pick. Like, I don't, I don't know. I In this situation, I can't imagine there's a lot of points, so I'm going to take three-and-a-half points and take Carolina, but I don't feel good about it. That's the five at five.
nice uh nice job there getting that done um i uh i think uh you know panthers spares i i just i don't i don't particularly like these type of games i like to see two teams that we all think are going to be in the playoffs could meet in the super bowl you know could we get a a potential foreshadow of the uh afc title game or the nfc title game i like to see those kinds of matchups i don't mostly like these games between teams that are struggling the real question is when does al michaels check out the game tonight (laughs) i mean he cannot be excited for this one so i'm gonna watch it with that in mind is al michaels as he lost his verb for the game is he just not having great chemistry with kirk herbstreet who by the way is going to call this game and then get on a plane to head towards you know college game day's destination as he does every week. And, you know, and Herb Street has his dog with him again, apparently. I do have an honorable mention, 5-5, five five, John. You want to hear it? Okay. Yeah, 5-B. Uh, five, 5-B, five five B, yeah. Iowa taking on Rutgers this week on Saturday. It is the lowest over-under total in the history of college football, according Ooh. to Vegas um, odds makers. The total, 29. 28. The total is at 28 oh. points. There's never been a game under 30. In fact, since uh, the last five seasons, there has been 1,500 games of a – Halftime total of over 28 points. All right, so I have a prediction for this weekend's Pac-12 games. The Which Pac-12 game will have the fewest points scored in it this weekend in your mind? I think I I think it's Arizona State-UCLA. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Uh, I would agree. Pro- uh, maybe Stanford-Oregon State? No. No? Or, Oregon State's going to score in that game. I think Stanford will get a yeah, couple I think scores. Maybe, you're right. But, Arizona State, UCLA. I can't imagine yeah. that a high-scoring game. That game, to me, could go under 30. Like, I could see 17-7 or 20-7, 20-10 maybe. But are Duck fans going to be excited to play in Iowa when the totals are 28? That doesn't sound like fun. No. No. That's not going to be a better game than they're getting this week. All right. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time. Just a good time.